0: Center. Hope, Center. Hope, Center. Hope Center Hope Center Hope Center Hope Center Hope Center is love. Today I want to talk about worship. We're going to uncover worship a little bit today because we we do this daily or we think we do this daily. So I want to come today the Father has sent me with a message to dig up and uncover what true worship is. The average church in America today focuses on inspiration, information, and motivation. It provides what we today call a drive-through experience that caters to the attendees and is focusing more, is more so focused on ensuring that everybody who is attending is feeling good. It's, it's a drive through experiences. It's a drive through experience that focuses on, on ensuring that the people who are coming into the house come in feeling good and, or or if they're not feeling so good, they leave feeling good. Even if it means that we have to dilute or water down the message of the gospel that isn't going to do them any good. So the danger in this is that we become so enamored by what we see more so than by the encounters that we are having with him. So we can easily earn the title of a Christian because we can check off a ritual box, more than by his ability to transform us. So today we call somebody a Christian by what we see them doing more so than the the transformation that is taking place in their heart. So when we as a church are more focused on our skills, we're more focused on our talents, we're more focused on our programs, our need to focus on Jesus diminishes because we no longer need him to provide excellent service by our definition. So then what happens is that we begin to say, Jesus, today we give you this, this service and because it's all about you. And at the end of the day, it's, it's all about you. We just sing that song. It's all about you. But we measure the success of our churches by the number of people who walk through the doors of our church. And we measure the success by how many people signed up for membership and how many people signed up for baptism and how many people we've got connected to a group or how many people we've got service in the ministry or how much money the church is making or how many people check the box that I accepted Christ today now don't get me wrong all of these things are good quantitative data is good and it is necessary because it is showing the work and the labor that the church is doing for the kingdom however when Jesus comes back for his church When the time comes, God is not going to look at a report of how many people walked through the doors of your church. He is not going to look at how many people signed up for your membership classes. He's not gonna look at how many people signed up for baptism or how many people got connected to serving. He isn't looking for numbers. The word says that he is looking for true worshipers. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That means that there can be false worshipers. He had to make a distinction. He he says the time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father. So if what God is looking for is true worship, true worshipers, then we can conclude that one of the most essential marks of a believer is in their ability to worship. Therefore, one of the essential marks of spiritually healthy and thriving churches is their ability to raise up true worshipers. Worship deals with the posture and the attitude of the heart. And when it deals with the heart, it requires heart transformation. The problem is that while we look at all the quantifiable data, the reality is, is that what God is looking for is at the, the data that can't be quantified. Heart transformation cannot be quantified. It can only be qualified. So on paper, everything might look good. On paper, everything, you know, might seem to be perfect. You've got the perfect resume. You've got the great skill sets. You've got the perfect team. But while man is looking out the outside to say that is a thriving church or that is what you call a believer, God is always examining the heart and the posture of the individual Mm -hmm. because this is what qualifies. A true worshiper. So today I wanna to talk about the characteristics of true worship. And in order to do this, I actually wanna present this to you from a different perspective so that you might see it from a different lens that you may not have considered in the past. We're gonna look at the ancient practice of worship under the old covenant, which is found in the Old Testament. And we're gonna translate that to what worship should look like today under the new covenant. So can I teach you today? Because I've come to teach you today. So in the ancient world, worship was associated with sacrifices sacrifices and offerings to God. So the first century temple, which was in Jerusalem, really was the central place for worship. This was a central place where the Jews, the people of God, worshipped him. And their daily routines in the temple were to offer up sacrifices and to offer up different offerings. And so while there were many sacrifices that were being offered up daily, the, for the sake of, of what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to focus on the three major sacrifices, the three major offerings that were made, which were the offerings for sin and trespasses, the burnt offering or the gift offering and the peace offering. And you can find all of these in the book of Leviticus. You can do your own digging on your own time and read through all of the laws and, and all of the offerings and all of the sacrifices. So for the sake of today, we're just going to focus on these three and we're going to dive deep into them. The first characteristic of a true worshiper, make sure you're taking note of this. The first characteristic of a true worshiper is that you live a life that is free of condemnation and guilt. The first offering that was brought was for the individual sin and their trespasses. So the offering, listen to this, the offering did not stop sin from occurring. But what it did was that it stopped the wrath of God from coming on his people. So sin had the power to separate people from God which is why they had to have this offering so that their sin wouldn't cause the wrath of God to come upon them and this this the separation that we see between God and his people during this time we literally see it in the architectural design of the old temple the way that that the temple was designed was that there were outer courts and inner courts and you had the holiest of holies and so in the holiest of holies only the priests could enter and the people had to stay on the outside and there was a thick curtain that separated the people from the holiest of holies where the glory and the presence of God was abiding and on this curtain there were two cherubims that literally had flaming swords on them which was a warning to anybody who was entering into the court do not cross this point because this point is only for the priests in other words you were separated from the presence of God. And so it didn't matter how many sin offer, how many offerings for your sin and trespasses you brought, you could bring them daily to the priest, but that did not do anything to the fact that there was a curtain still intact that separated you from the presence of God. So when Christ came to dwell among men, He became the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins transgressions in our trespasses and he fulfilled the sin offering once and for all follow me follow me so when he died on the cross he broke the power of sin to keep us separated from entering the presence of God the Bible literally says that when God took when Jesus exhaled his last breath the veil that separated the holiest of holies from the people in the temple was Torn down the middle, which symbolized that there was no longer a separation between God and His people. Jesus had fulfilled the sin offering, He was the perfect Lamb who came and died for you and for me. Can I tell you that this gospel is not the one we preach often because we find it a little bit boring? But if you were to understand that what Jesus did on the cross for you is now giving you access to the presence of. God, which you did not have before. Before you needed to come to somebody to pray and intercede on your behalf. You had to be scheduled into their agenda, but now you don't have to wait on any of those things. When you need God, wherever you are, you can make that place an altar so that you can Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. And so here is the good news. This means that you don't have to live a life of guilt and shame of your past. It means that you don't have to live a life of fear, of condemnation. I know that the enemy has probably tried to put in your mind and in your head that nothing has changed, that you're still the same person, that that God really hasn't done a change in your life. There hasn't been a shift. You're still a mess up. You're still a screw up. There hasn't been anything different about the day that you accepted Jesus Christ up until this point. But can I tell you that those are all lies of the enemy? Because the word of God says that when we come to Christ, everything that comes to Christ is made new again. You are a new creation in him. You have been covered by the blood of Jesus and sealed with his Holy Spirit. And so the understanding of this knowledge gives you the confidence and the boldness to enter into his presence as an adopted son and daughter, as a co-heir with Christ. So the problem is, the problem today is that we so often approach God with no understanding of who he is. The word of God says, my people lack, my people perish for lack of understanding. We perish because we don't understand who he is. And so when the word of God tells us that he is seeking worshipers that would worship him in spirit and in truth, we worship with the revelation the revelation of who he is the revelation that was given to us through his son jesus christ jesus himself said i am the way the truth and the life no one gets to the father except it be through me we worship him with the revelation of who he is knowing that he is the name that is above every name and the word of God says that at his name every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that he is Jesus Christ our Lord we worship him with the revelation that he is a good father that all good and perfect things come from him above and that his plans for us are to prosper us and give us hope and give us a good future we worship him with the revelation that he is our healer that when he died on the cross he was bruised for our transgressions that when he died his stripes his wounds Hallelujah. today have healed us. Yes. We worship him with the revelation that he is holy and that when we enter his presence, we must do so in a manner that is also holy. We are holy because he is holy, not because we are perfect, but because the Christ that is in us is holy. And so when we worship him, we don't come in our own name. We come in the name of Jesus because he is the holy one. We worship him with the revelation that he he is omniscient. There is absolutely nothing that we can hide from his presence presence because his spirit searches the heart of man and he is looking for those who will truly have a heart that is postured at his feet. We worship him with the revelation that he is omnipresent, that there is nowhere we could go, that his presence will not chase after us, that it would not follow us, that it would not seek us out. We worship him with the revelation that he is majestic, that he is all powerful, that he is great, that there is nothing that is impossible for him, that there is nothing that can move him. We worship him with the revelation that he is endless in love, that he is endless in mercy, that his grace and his favor follows us all the days of our lives. We worship him with the revelation that he is our protector that though many might rise up against us, none of them will be able to touch us because we are his sons and his daughters and he covers us with his protection. We worship him with the revelation that he is a provider and a good father does not just give anything to his children he gives the best to his children we worship him with the revelation that he cares for us that we can cast our burdens unto him that he is our teacher that he is our guide that he is our master we worship him with the revelation that he is God above all, above family, above marriage, above children, above work, above money, above skill, above program, above talent. He is God of all. And so when we enter His presence, we understand that worship is meant to put His worth and His value on display. So we come to his presence not to ask him for things. We come to his presence first and foremost to exalt him for who he is. So many of us only come to him when we need something. And we say, let me take five minutes now to exalt him before I ask for what I need. But the posture of worship is to constantly come to his presence, to put his worth and his value on display, not just for yourself, but for all to see. I always say this, even in my moments of prayer and I'm having my intimate moments with God, I always say to God, because I have come to the understanding of who he is that if he never did one more thing for me, I worship him because who he is, is already enough. (laughs) Everything that I need, I can find in him. So if he never does one more thing or lifts another finger, all that I need, I find in him and it is already enough. The second characteristic of a true worshiper is that you live a life in total surrender. And this is the one that we usually mostly talk about. The second offering that was brought to the priests was the one that they called the burnt offering, which depended on the acceptance of the first offering and was completely consumed by the fire, which represented a total surrender to God. So when Jesus came to fulfill now the new covenant, which is that he came, he died for our sins, and he now restored the relationship that we have with the Father. When Jesus came to fulfill the new covenant, the new offering that is now brought is now you and me. Romans 12.1 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy holy. And pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship so now we are not consumed by literal fire but we are consumed by the fire of God John the Baptist himself said about Jesus the one who is coming after me he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire true worship is coming before God in total surrender saying to him When you come to him, you say, here I am, God, my life is completely yours. All of it, everything that I am, everything that I stand for, every, every bit and ounce of my being is completely yours. And so when we make that declaration, I need you to understand something because the declaration can be scary. What it means when we say, God, here I am, have your will in my life, have your way in my life. What we are really saying to God is, God, consume me with your fire, even if it burns me, even if it hurts me, even if it pains me, even when I have to suffer for it, but consume me with your fire because I will catch this. I will not resist your refinement true worship always requires a sacrifice and if it doesn't cost you anything it is not true worship i'm going to say that again if it doesn't cost you anything if this walk is easy for you then let me tell you straight up you're living in the flesh if this walk does not cost you anything then it is not true worship, because worship is always attached to sacrifice. Luke 9, 23 to 24 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross every month. No. no. <laughs> whenever it's convenient. Whoever wants to be my disciple, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me it's not just enough to take up the cross you've got to follow him for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it we oftentimes think you know the more i come to god the more the more i feel things are changing in my life the more i feel things are are being transformed in our life though in my life the more i feel like like something, I'm losing this and and, and, and losing that and and, and and possibly gaining things here and there. But, but the, the more I'm in his presence, the more I feel like I'm losing something. But what you don't realize Good. is the more you are consumed with his fire, yes, he will consume everything that is not of him. But at the same time, you begin to gain more of Christ because you put yourself aside so that Christ can now shine through you. Sorry. Yeah. So good. And so as wow. you are refined, what God is trying to do, my God what he is trying to do is that when he consumes you with his fire it's so that all of this that is on the outer the exterior becomes consumed because none of this is pleasing to God but when it is fully consumed and we get to the core of who you are what is refined and left is Jesus it is not you anymore what Christ what what God sees when you present yourself to him in worship is not you when I come to to him in worship he doesn't just see Francesca the Thank flawed God. the imperfect the individual when he looks past my flaws what he sees inside me is a refined diamond that is reflecting the light of Jesus That's right. so the beautiful thing about worship is that it lessens us so that more of Christ can radiate through us. It diminishes and dulls out everything that is on the exterior so that what is happening on the inside becomes the thing that everybody can see. So here's the truth. The more of Christ you have, here's the secret. The more of Christ you have, the easier it is for you to worship. In John, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We talked about in truth. But can I talk to you about what in spirit means? Worship is a spiritual act. And because God is a spirit, you cannot worship him with your flesh. That's common sense. But the problem is that so often, Our worship is dependent on this and so my worship depends on how this feels versus this space. And so worship becomes difficult for us when we think we've got to do it from here and I hear the spirit of the Lord today saying I want to set somebody free because some people have been praying for encounters you've been saying God I want an encounter with you to the point that it's going to wreck me to the point where I'm never going to be the same an encounter that 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 just roots me so deeply in your presence that no one can tell me that you are not real I want to encounter you like I've never encountered you before and some of you are even praying for encounters again because it's it's been a while since you've encountered the presence of God, but can I tell you? I hear the Lord today saying to get out of your flesh and get into a place of spirit, because the spirit is not the spirit is not this. The spirit is a space. It is a location, and so when I when I try and attempt to worship. I'm gonna use the example of prayer. When I enter my prayer room and I attempt to worship through prayer, when I do it from here, my mind, there's so much junk up in here. And so I'm trying to worship, but then a whole to do list. Oh, my gosh, man, this time is going to have to get cut in half, Lord, because I got this, 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 that, 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 that. And so every, we try to worship from here. And so that's why when you get up, you're like, nothing happened. I don't feel different. Nothing took place. You know, I just, I prayed because it's the, it's the Christian thing to do, right? I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. But can I tell you? That when you forget about this, when you forget about, you know what's gonna happen if I really go deep? Uh, you know, God, I want an encounter with you, but but like, do I really want an encounter with you, Lord? You know, what happens if I start if I start sensing angelic activity? What, God? What happens if? If all of a sudden I feel a burning sensation on my tongue and oh, and so we are so in our heads, yeah. so the Spirit is always willing to connect f- with the Father because <laughs> it comes from Him but your flesh baby is never going to be willing. So when it comes to a space of worship, there is a constant battle between the natural and the spiritual because the natural wants to keep you here which is why it is so important that you tap out of the natural and enter a space in which you are in the spiritual because it is only in spirit that you can worship God, that means I go from a space where he is invisible to me it's hard for me to worship him because in my mind I say I do not hear him I cannot touch him I do not feel him I cannot see him you have to go from a place of invisibility in the spirit you enter a space where he is visible to you and so now you are able to see him with spiritual eyes you are able to see his goodness his love his mercy and when you tap into the spiritual realm worship becomes easier for you to do. It flows out of you. You don't have to struggle to do it. You just, you just are because you are a worshiping being. And so when we try to worship with the flesh, we will always fall short. You know, I, I love this revelation because in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that he created them and he communed with them, he fellowshiped with them. But then when they fell, when, when when Adam and Eve fell into temptation and they ate of the forbidden fruit, the Bible says that their eyes were open. And so now they were hiding from God. And when God comes to search out Adam and ask Adam, where are you? And they say, well, we hid because we're naked. He says, you've eaten of the forbidden fruit and the Bible has catch this revelation. The Bible says that he took skin and flesh and clothed Them. So they had gone from a place where they were constantly communing with God to a place where they now had to be clothed in skin and flesh and kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they were not worthy of being in his presence. This cannot enter the presence of God your skin and your flesh cannot enter the presence of God with you when you enter God's presence you've got to do it from a place of the Spirit and not a place where you're so stuck in your head about what's gonna happen and what's not gonna happen and what's this encounter gonna look like and and what's gonna go into his presence with expectation that whatever he wants to do, you are ready to receive whatever that looks like. Trust that the good father is not going to give you anything that is not good for you. And the experience that he is going to give you is going to be one that is going to benefit you for the rest of your life, because all it takes is one encounter in the presence of God for us to be transformed forever. You know, when I had my encounter with God, I, I remember that moment vividly and I've spoken about this before, but I remember when I came to the end of myself, I had I had a, a moment in which I said, God, I I'm done with this life, literally with this life. And I gave God, I said, I'm going to enter a time of... Look at me. This is how deceived I was. I said I'm gonna enter a time of prayer and fasting and God I'm gonna give you seven days to do something in my life And if you don't do something in these seven days, I'm taking my life because there's no purpose of me living This is what I said to God in prayer But I kept my word I entered the time of prayer and fasting The mistake that I made the mistake (laughs) that I made was a great mistake (laughs) or what the enemy, it wasn't a mistake to the enemy. It was a mistake was that I entered his presence daily with an open heart and a desire and a hunger for him to do something in my life. And I remember vividly on the third day, I was up at four in the morning on the altar of God, not in my house. I would drive to a church with my mother and kneel on an altar and pray for seven days at four in the morning, asking God to do something. And I clearly and vividly till this day still remember the day that God, I felt as if there was a consuming fire that started from the inside and burned everything that was on the outside until this day that was over 15 years ago but I remember it so vividly because when you have encounters with God they mark you to the point where you can never negate that it was God who called you, that it was God who assigned you, that it was God who gave you purpose and I remember being consumed to the point where no one could lay hands on me anybody who attempted to touch me would fall back and be slain under the presence of the power of God because it was him who was doing the work and so often we depend on a preacher and on people to come and lay hands and do for us what only God can do if you would just take the time to enter his presence you would begin to acknowledge and encounter what his presence is capable of doing. And that is why I never have to wait for anybody to lay hands on me, for me to encounter the presence of God. Because I know that right where I am, he is willing to meet me. That moment, that encounter changed my life forever. I am here because of that encounter. I am here because I had a heart that was in a posture to receive all that he had for me and at that point I was in a posture where I had come to the end of myself there was nothing left for me to lose and when you have nothing left to lose you don't care what it is that God is gonna do in your moment of encounter because you understand that without him you are absolutely nothing And so a true worshippers desire is not to be a better version of themselves. Because us in our own flesh, we are absolutely no good. I can't be a better version of this. A true worshippers desire is to be like him. And so with this, I close the third characteristic is that you live a life that is in constant fellowship with God. The last offering was the peace offering. It was a celebration of the completion of the other two. And so once the other two offerings were made, what was left was fellowship with God. The priest, uh, the priest would take the offering and they would divide it and eat it among themselves and the worshipers. So it was a depiction of God dining with his people. Revelations 3.20 says, here I am, this is God speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and they with me. God desires to dine with you today. God desires to be in constant fellowship with you. God desires to be in constant communication with you. He wants to be invited into your space. He wants a seat at your table and not just any seat. He wants the head seat at your table because when you give room at your table to God, what happens is that he brings everything that he is along with him. So it's not just, it's not just, oh, we're just, you know, we're going to have a good time with God. No, it's I, I am I am partaking and I am enjoying everything that he is. So when he has a seat at my table, he brings with him deliverance for my life. That means that deliverance is a portion that I get to eat when he sits at my table. When he sits at the table with us, he, he brings along with him freedom because where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. So I get to experience freedom. When he sits at my table, he brings peace. That means that it's a peace that surpasses all understandings, and it's not focused on my happenings, but it's, it's, it's constant and rooted on who he is, which is the unmovable and unshakable oh, rock now, of right. ages. Oh, when he sits yeah. at my table, he brings with him joy, yeah. an unexplicable joy, yes. a joy that other people look at and say, how can Glory. you be going through that and still have a smile yeah. on your face? Baby, it's because the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is the thing that is carrying me through when he sits at your table. he brings with him favor that means that doors that you wouldn't be able to open on your own accord now because he has partnered with you because you have given him the head seat at your table he says ask and you shall receive whatever you ask the father in my name I will give it to you so he opens doors of favor. opens doors in your favor he brings with him resources that means that you might be saying God I don't have it I don't know how I'm gonna do it I don't know how we're gonna make it this month but your father is the owner of all the wealth in the world. His word even says that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous so there is nothing that you might need that your father does not have. When you allow him to sit at your table he gives you new beginnings. The old has passed behold the new has come so you no longer have to live with this with this perception of who you used to be. You can now look straight at him and him you will see all that you are and are becoming when you let him sit at the table he becomes the living well and everything that is before you means absolutely nothing all you want is to drink of the living well and so today there might be some people that are watching that you've come to a place where you might be at the end of yourself or you're getting close to being there. Can I tell you that you are in the perfect position? Because this is when you can draw, not from your own strength anymore, not from your own skills, not from your own abilities, not from your own talents, not from your own programs, but you can draw from the living. Well, whose water never runs out. The living well which will saturate the thirst that you have. The living well which will ensure that you never go thirsty again. And I sense that today there are people who are in need of water from the living well. True worship, true worship is meant to transform us from the inside out. It is heart transformation. It is posturing our heart to him. It is making our lives completely and totally available to him on a daily basis. It is saying it is no longer I that live, but Jesus is the one who lives in me. It is being in constant fellowship and communion with God. It is is coming to him boldly with confidence as a son and daughter and being able to fully experience the fullness of who he is because we've understood the revelation when our churches become filled with true worshipers it's going to be impossible for us to not encounter him and so instead of looking at the numbers My desire for hope center is that we would begin to look at the heart of the individuals. And while that may not be able to be quantified, you can always see when a heart is being transformed because there are characteristics of worship that are expressed. My ability to lift my hands or my ability to, to get down on my knees and bow my head at his feet. My ability to sing out his praises is an act. It is an outward expression of the worship that has already taken place in my heart. And God himself said, there are many who just worship me with deeds and acts and, and lips but their heart is far from me. And so this is not just about lifting your hands. This is about lifting your hands with the right posture. This is about bowing yourself at his feet with the right posture. This is about coming to him saying, here I am, totally and completely surrendered to you because we understand that without him we are absolutely nothing.